0: our series, A Worthy Pursuit. A Worthy uh, Pursuit. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're kind of, as we're looking at this worthy pursuit, we're really looking essentially at Christian relationships or relationship in general. And personally, I have found this passage of the Word of God very enriching in my life because it's practical. It's practical. You have to enjoy that when you open up the word of God and you can actually sink your teeth into it, like you can devour it and eat it and it's good for the soul, it's, it's good for the spirit. And this passage is like that. It's like a good choice breakfast in the morning. As we look at chapter 6, we're really going to look at this reverence in relationships, a reverence, an aspect of respect, of reverence. Last week, we looked at the secret to a good long life. And I asked the question, how, have you, how many of you want your life to go well? Everyone's like, yeah, of course I do, right? We all do. And we looked at this you know, secret, if you will. Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel in Christ. And he goes on and saying, right at the beginning of chapter 6, he says, honor your parents. And parents, do not exasperate your children. For honoring your parents pleases the Lord, and children supporting and caring for your children honors and pleases the Lord. And we looked at how this honor is something learned at home. Is something learned at home. And so I want to continue in the spirit of that. And just for our argument's sake, point number one is honor, reverence, and obedience towards God. And even his creation is learned at home. Honor, reverence, and obedience is learned at home. The home is the battleground, if you will. It's the training spot. It's the HQ of our lives where we learn how to follow after God. We looked and saw how Abraham modeled for his son Isaac, how against, in the midst of all things, to honor God. And so here we're shifting and looking at this aspect of relationships, of honoring God, and one of the great ways that we can honor God is by honoring and respecting one another. Paul said this in Ephesians 1 verse 5. He says, in Christ... We've been adopted as sons according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Think about that, that favor, that grace that he's poured out immensely. He says here in verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. And that will is that we would all be brought into the family of God, all equal in the eyes of him. And so look at John chapter 6, just for a moment before we zone in on our, the main verses in Ephesians 6. But in John 6, Jesus says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. But in verse 41, it says that there was this little Hiccup. That began, he says this, "'Therefore the Jews started grumbling about him "'because he said, "'I am the bread that came down from heaven.' "'They were saying, "'Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, "'whose father and mother we know? "'How can he say, I've come down from heaven?' And Jesus answered, verse 43, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. Many times we can grumble. We can grumble about the things of God. We can grumble about the, the things that He calls us to. One of, the, one of the important aspects that Jesus calls us to is to love one another as He has loved us. In John 15, He says, This is my command love one another as I have loved you. And yet this can be a difficult task. It's not meant to be just a mediocre task. understand what I'm saying. But it can be easier said than done. And we can even grumble about it. Well, I'll love those, especially those who love me. But I'm not going to love those who don't love me. For some, the gospel is a risk. For some, the gospel is uncomfortable. Yet it's good news, but not all see it as good news. Because it involves surrender. It involves an alignment Of ourselves with the will of the Father, coming under His authority, coming under that authority that He has. The scripture says that God gave Christ the name above every other name. At His name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so one day, Jesus, and you might be wondering when we're gonna get to our main passage, we are in just a moment. Jesus one day is with His followers. And he's going around talking about the kingdom, and he says to them on one of these accounts, on one of these travels, he says, The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but they are sung among you who do not believe. He said, this is why I told you that, so no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And for that moment, some of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. But in verse 67, Jesus says to the remaining 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? And what Simon says directly connects with what we're about to jump into. He says, Lord... To whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter modeled this reverent response, this uh, submitting to rightful authority. He saw Christ as the utmost authority on the kingdom of God. There was no one else for them to go to. That's why he said, to whom will we go? He didn't say, where shall we go? He said, to whom? There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Here is this, the reverence, the submitting to this utmost authority on the ways in the kingdom of God and of course, eternal life. And so it makes sense that as Paul shares about Christian relationships, he shares and says that reverence, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, obeying Christ in this way, is what honors him. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord, and masters, Treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. And so just keeping all that in the back of your mind, our going point for right now is bring your reverence for Christ into the workplace. Bring your reverence for Christ into the into the workplace. Here we see Paul is talking about the importance of submitting to one another out of our respect for our true master and Lord, Jesus. It's really, if you think about it, it's the glue. It's the key to seeing a healthy and fully functioning family but not only the dynamics of your family life, but the church body as a whole. And if that has such far-reaching effects for the family and for the church body, surely it would also impact the world and society. Now, Paul understands the dynamics of the time. He understands that in Greco-Roman culture and society, that everything the master says goes that the slaves, they don't have legal recourse to question or challenge their masters. And so in many respects, because Christ says that anyone who is in Christ is free, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, that he truly did change things. And so let's continue on with this quote, living busy and productive lives Doesn't give you or your life worth living for God does. Just check out that quote for a second. Living busy and productive lives doesn't give you worth living for God does. And so here in Ephesus, Christianity is on the rise. People are coming to know Christ. Ephesus is a Roman colony. And what I found interesting in looking at the dynamics of this Greco-Roman culture, I kind of found it outstanding that over 60 million slaves were accounted in Rome. That's about one-third the population. And as time went on, more and more people were coming to Christ But few of them would have Christian masters, and you can see how things are changing. You would have many people coming to faith in Christ and yet serving under these masters that don't know Jesus. And so Paul wanted to encourage them, for one, to continue in that area that God, to where he had called them, to continue in the area of service, to not just put their arms up and revolt Now think about it, 60 million people, that's a lot of people. They could cause some serious damage. But that's not what Jesus stood for. As you can see, when he was on the cross, he said, if I was going to overthrow the powers to be, I could just call on legions of angels, and my father would send them. But that wasn't his way. And so he said that if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. And so Paul, in keeping in that spirit, encourages them to continue serving, to continue to obey with sincerity of heart as they would to Christ. Colossians 3, chapter 10 says this, and put on your new self. This is Paul speaking to the believers in Colossus. He says, you're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not a Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in, in all. Because of Christ, they're brought in as one family. Jesus changed things. His resurrection, his triumphant work on the cross changed the world as they knew it. The status quo could no longer remain, but this wasn't the time to form a union and revolt. And so let's look at verse 5 for a moment here. It says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Look, as I look at this, I'd like to put myself in the story. How would I feel being, although a member of the household, being in a place of slavery? How would that feel? What would that look like? I'm sure I would become upset. I'm sure I may even become bitter and perhaps want to revolt. Perhaps like those in Ephesus, they were saying, wait, this can't be right. We've been set free in Christ. Why do we need to submit under these masters, these rulers? But Paul also told the believers in Philippi, he said this in chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Notice he didn't come to earth and set up, you know, you guys need to worship me. You guys need to understand I came from the throne of God. You need to bow before me. No, he came as a servant, a humble servant. He took on the likeness of humanity, the word says here. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave the name that is above every name. And so because of this statement that Paul makes the believers in Philippi, clearly Jesus changed everything. He had changed the way that they go about business. He changed the way that masters should treat their slaves and the way that slaves are supposed to treat their masters. And what I appreciate about this passage, maybe you've already picked this up, that just because that you're in Christ, that there's no condemnation in Him, it doesn't mean that we are somehow no longer under the authority or civil authority, or of social authority. You know, we go around in town that there's different authorities that we come under, isn't there? If you're driving down the road, you're going to see posted signs. That's put in place by, you know, civil authority to govern us and, and save speeds and such. And sometimes we break those rules. Sometimes we break those laws. Sometimes we challenge those authorities. And so in many respects, biblical historians would say that, you know, there was no difference for people in Ephesus. In many respects, they were becoming tired of the status quo. Imagine for a moment that you're in Ephesus, you're in Christ, and yet you are still the legal property of your master. So on one hand... You are a free man in Christ or a free woman in Christ. But on earth, in reality of the here and the now, you are under the authority of your earthly master. So you could understand and appreciate how difficult this might be. And so Paul is trying to encourage him and saying, this isn't just for one group of people. Last week when we looked at Children, honoring your parents, this shows that this Christian relationship of honor and respect and reverence is supposed to be for the whole family. It's It's supposed to be for all the people involved, not just for one group of people. Not just parents or children towards their parents. But parents are supposed to honor and respect their children. So the same way, slaves, obey your masters as you would Christ. And in verse 9, he says, And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them. Paul is trying to make sure that their attitudes are in the right place. We all appreciate those course corrections in our life, that maybe when our attitudes get a little bit bent. And so he said to those in Colossus, he says in chapter 3, verse 22, Colossians 3, 22, Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work while only being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. How many of you would say, hey, that sounds great, but I'm a work in progress when it comes to that. Point number three is serve with sincerity of heart. Sincerity is defined as this, the absence of deceit Or hypocrisy. The absence of deceit or hypocrisy. And so, in other words, to be sincere is to be devoted in our purpose, to be devoted in our vocation, to be devoted in our calling and our expression of faith in Christ, no matter who we serve. And this can be difficult, and Paul understands this. Paul himself was whipped on many occasions. He was stoned and left for dead by authorities. He understands this is no easy calling. It's definitely not a fairy tale. And he's showing them here in chapter 6, he says, serve with a sincerity of heart and don't work while only being watched but as slaves of Christ, do the will of God from your heart. Sometimes we do work because we can get what we can get out of it. You know, maybe there's someone in our our work sphere that we just know, well, you know, if I come under their tutelage or their mentorship, and I I really, you know, take my licks, so to speak, because of who they are and who they represent, you know, I'm going to expand my sphere of influence. I'm going to expand my network. It's a lot like the app LinkedIn. At one time, LinkedIn for me became a wormhole because you're trying to connect with all these different people from all different spheres of influence and I can rightfully understand what Paul's getting at here is to serve no matter who the person is. And yes, sometimes it's easier said than done. I remember I was in Toronto back in 2004 Yeah, well, I was at Bible school, and we were serving. I don't know how this came to be, doesn't really make any sense. We're at Bible school, and yet we're serving at a Microsoft conference. And so we're in Toronto, downtown, this big convention center, and I had the honor of driving executives of Microsoft around town. And that one day you get Bill Gates. Little low, 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 lowly Andrew, you know, driving around in young age, driving around with executives of Microsoft, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And I have to admit that it had an impact on my thought life. And if we're in these circles and we're, uh, you know, in those places that we think, well, if I can just befriend them, if I can just, you know, rub shoulders with them, this is going to expand that influence. Paul is saying here, no matter who, no matter who you're under, that authority, serve them as you would serve Christ. And if we tie it to last week, if we do that, it will go well for us in the land. And look how he says, do not work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Look, you don't have to look too far. Maybe outside your window sometimes you can look and see that sometimes if the foreman's not around, it's possible that work might go at a little bit of a slower pace. Not saying it's not going to get done, but maybe not as quickly and efficiently as possible, potentially. And I'm speaking from experience. One time I was working for a company and um, the manager was away, or so we thought. It's kind of like undercover boss. And I come into the logistics room and we're preparing all our routes And the company that I was at, we had to um, gather the inventory of all the items that we would need for the day. We would have about 35 to 40 calls to fulfill within the workday. Many times it was overtime because of the amount of calls that we would have. But you would organize your inventory, and then you would load into your truck, and then you would have to go back to logistics room to plan your route for the day. So as I said, everyone thought that the boss or the master for the sake of the story here was gone. So you can imagine, Paulo, you're in the you're in the room and you know everyone's just slacking off. <laughs> Some guys are leaning back, you know, feet up on the desk, like, "Oh, this is great. This is the easy life. I'm getting paid for this." And I came from an environment or an upbringing where that's just something that you don't do. And it's kind of like the parable of the the virgins in the oil. You never know when the master is going to return. And sure enough, I'm there routing and, and trying to figure it out, and the boss comes back. He comes into the room, but he's behind the group of the fellow workers, and they have no clue that he's there, and he's just listening and watching. And he finds the right moment to speak up and in a very eloquent way, just says, get back to work. (laughs) It's easy to slack off. Perhaps you've even been in a workplace, and you've been there for a long time, you've put your time in, and then there's others who are putting their best foot forward, and maybe they're reaping some uh, benefits of the hard work that they've done. And so to piggyback on this, sometimes we can get the wrong attitude because of the, the ethic, the work ethic, ethic, sorry, of those who want to live this out. That no matter who they're serving, they're doing it all for Christ. And so their worker or their master, their boss has taken notice. At that same company, I remember that there was a requirement. You had to do all these modules, and for um, being out on the road, you had to fulfill this drive-wise curriculum because we were hauling oxygen and other volatile type of chemicals um, with oscillator, oxygen equipment, and, and and all those kind of things. And so you had to be up to speed on proper protocol of loading and transporting all these things. And there was a competition. The boss put an incentive out there. Sue, if you fulfill these modules in a timely fashion, I have three prizes that I'm going to offer you. He didn't have to do that. But he thought, I'm going to honor my employees that put the time in. Out of a company of, I'd say, probably 30, 35 people of just one depot, one location, how many do you think actually did the work? Maybe half? Half? One. One person out of the whole company took the boss, the master, so to speak, up on that offer. Did the work and end up getting prizes one, two, and three. And it wasn't easy. These modules were difficult. They would take about an hour, each one, and you would have to come in either before your shift or after your shift to put that time in. You weren't paid for it. But that one person reaped the benefit of putting that work in. And the master saw. The master, the boss, if you understand what I'm saying, didn't threaten the, the folk at, at that company. He said, look, if you put the work in, you're going to be rewarded. That's very similar to what Paul is saying here. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. The Lord works through each of us. He calls us by his grace to encourage each other, to be a blessing to one another. In that work environment, that employer, that master, if you will, was blessing his faithful workers. And so here we see Paul again is is establishing this uh, right attitude within the believers in Ephesus. He's telling them to do this no matter who they are or the status that they hold. And a good fire for effect is if we go to John chapter 13, we can see again that Jesus himself was the model servant. He was the model servant. Check out John chapter three. Uh, verse 1 through 9, this is before the Passover, and Jesus washes the feet. Very medial, even dirty task for someone of such such a place of honor. And it says in verse 2, Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Simon Iscariot's son to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands that had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his other clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet to dry them with the towel tied around him. And he came to Simon Peter who asked him, and you have to love Peter's response, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Are you going to wash my feet? <laughs> like, probably really confusing. Why are you going to wash? I should be washing your feet. Because servants, that was the job of the servant in the household to wash the feet of the guests. But remember, Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. If I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And so Peter, again, not only models this reverence of submitting to authority like we looked at earlier, he says in verse nine, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Essentially, dunk me. Dunk me with the water. Do what you must do. He came under that submission of Christ, the authority of his master. And look what happens this side of the cross when you and I come into submission into the worship and authority of Jesus. Titus chapter three, verse four and five, it says, but when the kindness of God our savior appeared to all, he saved us, not by works of righteousness or righteous things we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. What Jesus did for Peter, he also did for us. So point number four is commit to a labor of love. Commit to a labor of love. Sometimes It's tough, especially when there's absence of love, when there's absence of respect. We've all worked in places where it's tough. We've worked in places where there was no respect for who you were and what you brought to the table within maybe it's the company. And really, in many respects, when you look at verses seven through eight, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people is showing that this really does please the Lord. And it's never easy. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. Paul says, The wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. I am deeply thankful that our Lord shows no favoritism. And yet, he is one who is faithful to balance the scales. One day, he is going to overturn everything sad will be made untrue. He's going to bring, he's going to restore, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And he's taking stock of what is happening in this life. And so think about that. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. As I look at this story, my reassurance is that Jesus is always watching. When we put the time, and we put the effort in, maybe even, you might even be abused verbally by someone in authority. Make no mistake, Jesus sees. Nothing is beyond him. He is fully aware. Jesus says in Revelation, he says that I am coming back. And when I come back, I will give to every person or man according to what they have done. Our Lord and Master, we all are under his Lordship, that's what Paul's getting at here. No matter what, if we can keep this in the back of our mind, if this is our driving force, the fuel for our heart, if you will, we will remain on the right side of this. But if we try to operate like the world, the way that the world likes to balance things, it's all about getting ahead, and doesn't matter who you trample along the way. In some places, the boss has to, you know, devour their employees you're fired and so just for a few moments before we come to a time of prayer i really believe as i look at this story and as praying through this passage is that paul is showing us this incredible mutual responsibility that we have to one another as children of god whatever title we hold We really are responsible for one another To respect each other To honor one another At a reverence for Christ And if we have that reverence for Christ It will go well for us We'll honor each other in how we speak We'll honor each other in how we act And we know we don't always get it right Sometimes we have I like to joke and say that The Freudian slip I think that's how the saying goes Things slip but we can get back on track, we can get back on course as we desire to serve like Jesus. I, for one, as we looked at the part of scripture earlier of this message was that Jesus, he had many people that followed him, many, many people followed him, but at one point they turned away, they turned back. And I have to admit, when I read that part in in John chapter 6, I thought, my goodness, if the good news is good news, who would truly turn away from Christ and the teachings that he has to offer? Well, at the end of the day, it's not a pleasing aroma to everyone. This aspect of respect and reverence for Christ and serving one another is not popular at times. And yet that's something that we're called to. He says to love one another as I have loved you. My encouragement to you this afternoon, I believe that the word is speaking to us, is that when we endeavor to serve the Lord out a sincerity of heart, to do his will from the heart, that he sees and he's going to reward you for the work that you've put in. Sometimes it's a labor of love in the, in the absence of love. Other times it will be joyful. And there'll be many benefits and wonderful things that happen as a result. But sometimes it'll be tough. And remember that service that Christ did and modeled for us, that led him to the cross. That led the other followers of Christ. Some were even martyred. Peter was crucified and hung upside down. Sometimes serving is difficult, but we're serving not because of the, the, the benefit or what we're going to reap in this life, although there are those things, but it's what is coming on the day of the Lord and which he says, I have the reward with me. That's why Paul said, I entrust my life to him, my entire life to him, that I will receive from him all that I have entrusted on the day of his appearing. And so I just want to invite you for a few moments just to uh, bow your heads. We're doing something a little bit differently. You'd normally we have the worship team come up and, and they lead us in worship. But just for the sake of uh, today, just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And the reason for this, in many respects, doing as Paul's encouraging us, teaching us, it can be a, a heavy task, if you will. It can be a difficult exercise. And so even this moment as we bow our heads, we close our eyes, in a way is an exercise. And I would invite you just to say right where you are, you know, Lord Jesus, would you lead me in the way of honoring others? Jesus, would you enable me to live from the heart of and how you would have me live. Jesus, be honored in all that I say and do. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, Lord, that you you challenge the status quo. Lord, it's not about having superiority over others, but rather to serve others. You modeled servanthood for us, and your, your beloved followers, with including the Apostle Paul, he's shown us very clearly what it means to follow after your will from a sincere heart, to serve you no matter What vocation we're in, no matter what, you know, work that we're doing, but in all things to be thankful and to work as unto you. Father, I pray and ask, Lord, as our brothers and sisters and you do these very things, as they fulfill that call on their life, Lord, would you be glorified in their life? The example that they model by the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would it be a contagious aroma to those around them that they would ask them questions of why they serve in the way that they serve. Because Lord, you promise, Lord, we declare your word that says that you draw us to yourself by your spirit and you make us fishermen of people. Help us, Lord, to not be keepers of the aquarium, but to be fishermen of all people, of all shapes and sizes, of color and creed. bind us together, Lord, in that mission. Thank you for your word, God, that speaks to us even here and now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.